one of the reasons that the Buddha rejected concentration as the sole meditation practice. And discovered or created or came to mindfulness was because he saw that tendency uh, of wanting to avoid that we all have and saw that when we're concentrating, uh, it feels so good because it allows us to avoid what's actually causing our suffering. I know for myself, my first uh, relief in meditation was the relief of being able to ignore my mind. And it's totally okay to enjoy that <laughs> relief and to have that, uh, just that, finally that experience of, like, I don't have to be so identified <clears throat> with what's happening in here and I can ignore it and bring my attention back to my breath and back into the body and the first foundation what we've, you know, a lot of what we did the first couple days is key. And, uh, and if you're new to practice, of course, there's an invitation to keep coming back to the breath and use the breath as the anchor and, and to build that foundation of being able to ignore your mind, not stop your mind, but ignore it, let it be in the background. Thoughts continue, but... But there's a real trap too, and there's a lot of people that have been meditating <clears throat> for a long time who never get past this first foundation. And, you know, maybe spend five or 10 or 20 years uh, thinking that they're doing mindfulness practice and coming to mindfulness retreats, and, but truly just um, doing concentration, just coming back to the breath and never really opening to the full inclusive nature of what mindfulness actually is. Without any judgment, maybe you're one of the people who's been doing that and not, not saying that to um, any way for us to beat ourselves up or to judge ourselves, but you know, some humility saying like, oh yeah, I've been, I've been doing that. I know I did that probably for the first maybe five years of my practice. It was just about coming to the breath and Ignoring my mind. And... But the Buddha was quite clear about how that doesn't actually work for the goal of freedom from suffering. It doesn't actually work for a, a really an ability to change our relationship to the mind itself and to develop the compassion and the insight, the, the wisdom of not taking the mind personal, maybe even ignoring our mind all the time, um, uh, supports some, some level of, yeah, that's who I am and I have to ignore it. Uh, and when we, this, so we start with, you know, uh, breaking the addiction to our minds. And uh, the first foundation is the intervention break the addiction to thinking and being identified and taking it all personal. But then we begin to expand, and, and so maybe there's even some level. I've been uh, thinking about this in recovery terms a lot. And there's some sense of like actually some, some thought fast, <laughs> trying to not indulge, like fasting, like abstinence. Of course, we all kind of constantly relapse, but, <laughs> but at least trying to abstain from thinking and intentionally thinking. And, but then when we open up to the second and third foundation, and, and you know, even in the second foundation yesterday, Vinny, kind of some, some openness to like, and even in your mind when you find yourself in a thought, is that thought pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? Starting to expand rather than just yanking the attention back. 
becoming more inclusive, including thoughts and emotions. And then um, I think of our relationship to our mind as we open to this third foundation. And, and in a general way, I think of the third foundation of mindfulness as, uh, as the mind, as bringing present time, non-judgmental awareness to the arising and passing, the impermanent reality of thoughts, of observing and receiving and paying attention to at least the process of thoughts arising and passing, not necessarily getting lost in the content and the story and the ideas and the fantasies and the creative inspirations that are in the mind, but just observing, okay, it's here it comes, there it's changing and, and passing, thoughts and emotions. And uh, using that recovery analogy of thinking of uh, more like a food addiction, like your addiction to your mind, you you um, you can't abstain. You're not, you know, it's not it's not like something that you can just stop eating. <laughs> you can't just stop thinking. But uh, part of what we're doing is we're trying to develop a uh, wise and skillful and healthy relationship to our mind that includes some renunciation. That includes, actually, there's some foods that I just don't eat anymore. There's some thoughts that I really just uh, know are harmful, are negative, are, uh, in the Buddhist uh, terminology, are unwholesome. And so I don't feed them. I do my best to abstain, but actually when wholesome thoughts, when thoughts of kindness and love and generosity and compassion, actually those are worthy of uh, reflection. There's wisdom also in this mind. And so it's not an abstinence-based relationship. It's finding uh, discernment about what, what aspects, what arises is worthy of really paying attention to and which ones are, are worthy of saying, mm, that's just Mara again, I see you. I see you, Mara, arising in my mind and you feel like this and then there's this bodily uh, sensations connected to that anger, fear, lust, judgment, resentment, whatever way uh, Mara's arising in the mind and body in this moment. You make sense what I'm saying as an intro? So the invitation um, today and really for the rest of the retreat is to include your mind and not just ignore it, to observe your mind, to watch your mind. Knowing that you can always use the body as the body's here. Sometimes we, you know, we're trying to observe the mind and we really float off in fantasy or memory or plans. And, um, and so then you use the body as an anchor return here. Feel the physicality, the sensations here. And then you open up again and become inclusive. Okay, I'm going to also watch what's happening in my mind. I want to have an intimate knowing of my own mind. It is not practical to have a spiritual, a meditative discipline that's just about ignoring it all of the time. I heard Robert Thurman lecture hundreds of people one time about how they were developing ignorance rather than wisdom by doing meditative practices that were about ignoring the causes of suffering rather than turning towards them. And of course, we don't want to, you know, you don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. None of us are here to develop ignorance. We're here to develop true insight, true wisdom, transform, transformational uh, ability to be with this human condition in all of its beauty and horror.
So I'll offer some <clears throat> instructions. And, um, and talk a little bit after about how we can also include it in our walking practice and eating. and So making any adjustments necessary to settle into the upright posture. Softening, releasing, relaxing into investigating this moment, these six areas of experience, the body, and there's so much going on in the body. And these feeling tones in the body where you might be having hundreds of th- or thousands of different feeling tones at the same time. There might be a pleasant sensation of contact with your feet and the floor. There might be unpleasant sensation in your shoulder or neck. There might be neutrality on your sides or your thighs. So many sensations happening in the body. And it's not about paying attention to all of them at once, but connecting and sustaining and choosing. Where am I going to place my attention? What's calling for my attention? What's predominant? But with an openness, sometimes it's good to coordinate the breath and breathe with the sensations in the feet. Breathe with the sensations in the heart and the shoulders. A couple of breaths to hang out there. And this realm of sound, tuning in, mindfulness of hearing, both internal and external. Investigating your own moment-to-moment Awareness of sound waves being received in consciousness. Perhaps you hear the ringing in your ears, the inner sound, or breath, or heartbeat. Some digestion going on. Hearing the sounds of my voice, other sounds in the room, allow your sound receiving sounds as far as far away as you can to the horizon. sound, present time, non-judgmental awareness, 
the impermanent nature of sensations and sounds. Inclusive of smell and taste, bringing mindfulness to your teeth, to your tongue. your nostrils, your throat. Into the realm of seeing, whether they're Shapes, light behind the closed eyelids, patterns, colors, mental images, And opening to this mind itself, the realm of thoughts and emotions, of plans and memories, of hatred and love, of resentment and forgiveness, all arise are known by this mind. Where we do have some agency, some influence, not on what is arising, but how we relate to it. How personal do we take it? How much energy do we give it? Turning your attention towards your own mind. Sometimes it's helpful to visualize thoughts as though each one is in a bubble in a spacious, open space or room. And there's a planning bubble arising. And you can observe it float off, just a plan. There's a memory. There's a fantasy, a daydream, really seductive. This sounds like you're really just drawn towards that one. But you know you're here observing mindfulness of the mind. As we open to the mind, the feeling tones that we've been practicing with, of course, also apply. How does that thought feel? Was that a pleasant thought? Is it unpleasant or neutral? When craving for this moment to be different than it is, appears in the mind. What's the feeling tone of that craving when you find yourself attached, identified with some 
story about yourself or someone else? How does it feel? When you find yourself entering into one of these thought bubbles and floating off, the proliferation of thought, one thought gives birth to the next. A sound leads to a memory, leads to reminiscing. It's useful to sometimes just place the word here in your mind. Here, I'm here. Here observing, here feeling, here investigating. Not in the past or future, but I'm here. These are just thoughts and feelings and sensations. Don't try to catch each thought. Allow your awareness to be more open. 
spacious, inclusive, knowing there's a body here that I feel, that I receive the sensations of. This body experiences emotions. And there are sounds, visions, smells and tastes, and there are mental phenomena. The mind thinks, the lungs breathe, the heart beats. It's not so personal. It's not who you are. But it is what we are experiencing. And we want to experience it with wisdom, knowing the true nature of this mind and body, understanding the impermanence. Whatever has arisen shall pass, this thought, this feeling, this sensation. Line our heart and mind towards seeing clearly and towards responding wisely. The painful thoughts are calling for a simple internal tenderness, a care, some forgiveness, some compassion, the pleasant sensations, emotions, thoughts, calling for some appreciation, non-attached. Allow yourself to enjoy pleasant moments. They will pass too, but nothing wrong with really smiling at, soaking up, enjoying those moments of peace or pleasure.
and being mindful of the mind in this way, we begin to see the difference between the non-volitional thoughts that just appear seemingly out of nowhere, just appear in the mind. And the volitional thoughts, the ones that we are actually feeding, thinking about, the plans that we are sitting here intentionally making, that argument that we're getting involved with volitionally over and over in the mind. Some of what's arising is just the programming, the conditioning of the mind that you can just observe. Maybe have some interest, perhaps even a sense of humor or ridiculousness of what our mind does as we sit here. And seeing the volitional, oh, I'm actually quite involved, identified, taking it personal, trying to figure it out. And using this simple word here to return to this breath, body, heart, mind process.
Ajahn Chah said uh, through this process of mindfulness, which can be seen as a process of letting go, then we let go more and more. And when we let go, absolutely, of trying to control the mind, trying to hold on to pleasure, trying to get rid of pain, He said, at times when you let go in this way, your, your mind will become quiet and still like a forest pool. He said, all kinds of strange and wonderful animals will come to drink from that still forest pool. So at times in your practice, watching your mind, you'll see, oh, there's not much happening. But even in that spacious stillness that will happen eventually, still the strange and wonderful animals are emotions, our thoughts. They're just no longer disturbing. They're just passing through known by mindfulness. Any questions about anything? Please. So I'm having an experience based on some of what was talked about yesterday with Jen and Jenny around feeling tone and the simplicity, keeping it simple, but also turning towards the subtleties. Mm -hmm. So one of the subtleties that I'm experiencing that I'd love someone could say a little bit more on. I'm actually finding a, a, core, a core feeling tone. So like this morning before waking up, waking up I woke up with a feeling tone. And I was able to track sort of more superficial feeling tones. Pleasant, unpleasant, no milk for the coffee, unpleasant. And those with that core feeling tone, which was unpleasant, I then was taking this more superficial tones, like, oh yeah, pleasant, whatever, and I'd go quickly past it. Oh, unpleasant. Yep, of course. Of course it's unpleasant. And then I found, um, I, I do what I often do in my life, which was go out into nature, get my heart rate up, see vistas, and shifted my core feeling tone to pleasant which then created a different experience of the more superficial feeling tones. And one realization I had was, oh shit, because what happens when I can't get into nature anymore? What happens with infirmity? But then I also was curious about, in daily life, you know, where's the wisdom when we're experiencing a core, a 
unpleasantness that is rippling out into our interactions and we take time to reframe. So I, so I guess I'm, I want some support around not just offering meta for all of it, because there's a sense of still being pulled back and forth, mm -hmm. but where's wisdom in choosing to shift and bring intention to changing that core feeling to feeling to <clears throat> you have a, a thought about it? I do, I'd like to hear what you have to say, and I can add. You know, it's, it's an interesting question because I actually haven't, um, I haven't actually heard it or thought about it in this a way of a core feeling tone. It's not actually the way that we talk about it. That there is a, you know, every single phenomena has a feeling tone, but there's not like a core, like a drone underneath. So the way you're talking about it is a little bit different. Um, and my sense, and I could be wrong, but my my sense is that. Uh, it's you know kind of how we feel about ourselves in general is that is what you're talking about kind of do I have a pleasant sort of relation do I wake up feeling at ease and pleasant sort of happy to be awake or do I wake up in a, some level of uh, unpleasantness like oh shit this again me again <laughs> yep I'm still me um, so and 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 if if that's that what you're talking about as the core. Because I feel like, uh, and maybe it's my transference, because I feel like my life was like that for a long time, where I woke up and I was like, fuck, this, you know, life sucks, kind of, uh, suffering. I was in so much suffering. And my own experience is that the practice, and a lot of forgiveness practice, changed that, so that actually I wake up and it's neutral or pleasant. Very rarely do I, you know, kind of unpleasant, although it was like that for a long time. So if that's what you're talking about, and my, my sense is that actually a deeper sense of self-forgiveness and self-compassion and will actually shift that. Because mm, I don't think from a Buddhist perspective there's not a core tone. There's just the tones from the experience that we're having. Right? It's just whatever this phenomena, this sound, this smell, this sensation, this thought is perceived as pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. There's no core tone. But we do have this kind of core relationship to ourselves and if it's an, an aversive one or a negative one or a painful one then of course that's going to be un, unpleasant until like you said uh, so that's that's my first piece and so i just had the sense of like forgive yourself fully compassion as deeply as possible for yourself and i think it will shift that core relationship to yourself that's unpleasant or pleasant and in the meantime, I like what you're doing of like, and I have some practical antidotes to uh, shifting it and getting out into nature as a healthy and uh, helpful and, you know, to kind of have some pleasure and some a bigger vista. I like what you said, kind of getting up to where I can see more clearly out of the muck of self and something about nature that gets us. Uh, so I love that you're doing that. Um, and as you said, it's not practical forever. I don't want to have to do something to get out of the... I want to actually wake up to a place of being at ease. And the Dharma is going to take you there, applied appropriately and correctly, and that self-forgiveness and that self-compassion. You will um, come to a place where uh, the core, what you're calling the core, is actually much more pleasant, I believe. That's my, my initial thought. Joe, did you want to add something? Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to point out, and this is just for everybody, that it's really easy for us to say pleasant, good, unpleasant, bad, right? Neutral, ignore. <laughs> and so I don't actually think that's what the teaching is trying to point to, that we're always trying to create pleasant, 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 pleasant. It's far more no noticing phenomenon as it is and how it's not personal. So when we take something on as I woke up, unpleasant mood, 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 right? We make it really, really personal to self. And what this feeling tone practice is about, ultimately, is seeing how phenomenon changes constantly and how um, 
It doesn't actually belong to us. It's not inherent in any object because even an object that we consider pleasant in one moment, we can consider really unpleasant in another or not notice, right? So our tendency is to, is to take everything personally. So when it's pleasant, it's mine. When it's unpleasant, it's mine. And so seeing if, if the approach of the practice can be a little bit more about just noticing that unpleasant is here. It's not my unpleasant. It's not because I'm doing something wrong. It's, not, it's not because I'm a bad person. And unpleasant is not bad. We want to put judgment on everything. You know, we want to judge it, especially if it doesn't feel good. So seeing, you know, there's a, there's a little space in between where it's not about me. Um, yeah, I guess that's all I have to say. And, and, and watching how we're using it and really being careful not to put the good-bad judgment on it. This is experience as it's arising right now. And it changes. And it changes based, based on sort of like I was talking about, whatever objects we come into contact with. We watch experience change. Does that make sense? Do the uh, expansion of the instructions make enough sense to you? Breath, body, six sense doors, inclusion of the mind. And it's tricky, right? Because you start paying attention to your mind and then you're just lost thinking. <laughs> because you know, most of us, you don't have the stability quite to just observe. And you're like, oh, that's an interesting bubble and I'm going for a ride. <laughs> My father in Gradual Awakening, he talked, to, he used not the bubble analogy, but of like you're watching your mind like you're watching a train go by and the train of thoughts. And you're sitting here mindful and you're watching the train of thoughts. <laughs> And, um, you know, memory, plan, lust, fear, lust, fear, lust, fear, lust, fear, lust, fear, lust, fear. <laughs> he said, and then there's, uh, he said, and then you, know, you're, you get that stability. And then there's like the, the mind, Mara, the mind does like a, um, the exploding boxcar trick. <laughs> where like this thought comes and it's just like, bam, this one's really important. You have to, this is an emergency. You need to think about this shit for at least 10 minutes. <laughs> and how you know, seductive the mind is, and you're just watching it, and just, oh, it's a passing thought, passing thought. And then, whatever, you know, that you get caught, you get hooked. Uh, and then you come back, and you say, here, oh yeah, okay, I was just in fear, lust, fantasy, whatever it was. And I come back here. Watching, watching. So just know that there'll be a lot of returning and use the body as anchor. But then don't stay stuck there. Give yourself permission to come back into observing the mind. is such that I'm aware that I am doing things that is somewhat mindless and that there's a very strong force. And I know I should stop and there's a part I'm aware that also I don't want to stop or whatever. I mean, there's, it's just, the energy is very, very restless and it's very, very strong. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious about any suggestions as to in that moment to just Stop. How to support that stopping? Right. I like what Joanna was saying last night when she went into her interview, and the teacher was like, Yeah, just stop doing that. <laughs> I so often want to tell people that in interviews, but I'd never actually brought myself. 
to, yeah, just stop that. But th that doesn't work, right? Stop doing that. If it were only that simple, right? Like if, if, if there was something that we could just look so magically just stop doing that, it just doesn't work like that. Where my mind went in your question was more just towards humility. And that kind of like, I'm observing my, just that kind of like, okay, I'm, I, I can't stop right now. I'm this, and there's just this, like, uh, the term humility of like, yeah, I'm doing something that I know is not really so skillful or good for me or whatever it is. And I kind of I'll feel like a little driven and I, and uh, I know I should stop, but I'm not stopping. <laughs> and, and just having that kind of, uh, acceptance right now it's like this and I'm not perfect I'm not there yet I want to stop I have a head full of wisdom <laughs> you know intellectually I know what to do like I was saying the other day like we all know what to do stop clinging right just stop but we can't do it yet so there's the humility of Okay, in this moment, I'm going to do my best to let go. I think I heard Jack talk about uh, sometimes we, uh, you, you're so attached or so stuck in habitual patterns or that it's like, um, they use the analogy, like you're running for the train or the, the plane or whatever, and you're gripping onto your bag so tight, and then you get there, but then your hand has become cramped. And you know, and your mind is telling your hand, let go but it's like become cramped and you can't quite open your hand. And you, you don't actually, you can't, you know, it's just, it's still, you're still clinging even though, you know, it's time to let go of this bag. I'm at the plane. <laughs> but now my hand is like cramped in this clinging posture. And you just take some time and you soften and eventually you let go or you get onto the plane with <laughs> Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> Please. So I'm going to be the contrary voice to that. And I'm just going to say, why not just stop, right? Like uh, the inquiry into why, why not? So if it is something as simple as rice in a bowl, like let's, pl let's play with the easy stuff. Like let's play with the lightweight stuff and say, what is it? What's the experience in me just on this retreat? to maybe not one time do something that I would typically do out of agitation or irritation or habit or, because um, we're, we're then feeding our habitual pattern of just status quo, right? And so then the learning isn't, the ship isn't actually turning. And when that statement that Ajahn Chah makes is the suffering that leads to more suffering and the suffering that leads to, to the end of suffering is saying it's hard <laughs> to end suffering. It's not easy. Like there might be some suffering. There might be some discomfort in doing what you wouldn't normally do, in doing the thing that's really easy. So mine is let's play with on this retreat of doing some of the stuff that might feel hard like in that moment i'm imagining i'm going to tell your story i'm putting words into your mouth of putting that rice in and going fuck it i deserve it and i've had a hard day and like i'm going to do it anyway and right and stopping and having that moment of okay well what would it be like not to do that what am i avoiding when I trying not to experience or feel and not giving myself that deserved extra. Okay, so maybe it's just like, what would that be like? Oh, maybe my heart's going to ache a little bit. Maybe my gut's going to hurt a little bit. Maybe my mind's going to retaliate. Mm, I can probably handle that, right? Like, it's always interesting when I think about if we were to tell a child, don't take that shot of tequila or don't take that extra serving of what at pizza, right? You're going to get a stomach ache. Like we can do that a lot easier than we can tell ourselves. So it's sort of like, is it friendlier and kinder and more loving actually to not do it, to actually stop than to let ourselves do it? That's my question. Sometimes I actually think it's more loving to not let ourselves follow through with a behavior that um, ultimately isn't leading to our liberation. Somewhere we need to stop 
Like somewhere, at some point, we need to change the action. So. Maybe the same. Maybe So that's all the time we have for today. Um, some of you, sorry if I didn't get to some of the hands or questions. Uh, some of you have uh, interviews today. And in the um, process of making the schedule, we realized that we actually didn't have the uh, time and, and resources to see everyone individually, even though we had told most of you, I think, in the first groups that we would, you would get a, an individual meeting. Uh, the way it turns out, we actually need to do groups. And so you'll, you'll be actually in the same group uh, today as you were in uh, Tuesday. And uh, those of you who were seen yesterday will be in the same group that you were Wednesday on, on, on tomorrow on Friday. And uh, our, our apologies for not being able to see everybody one-on-one, -on -one, but it's just the way uh, with three teachers that we're able to uh, you know, see um, almost 100 people. So um, some of you have asked for one-on-one -on -one interviews, and we'll be able to do a little bit of that, but not so much because of the way that the schedule is and the teaching schedule here for us. So, uh, And we, we also believe that... Um, there are pros and cons to groups and to individuals, uh, interviews, and that there's actually something quite useful about meeting with the other students in a group. So There will be interviews starting today at uh, 10.15 and um, at 11.15. In the walking practice, uh, become more inclusive, more spacious, not just concentrating on the footsteps, but also like opening to seeing, to hearing, feeling your body moving through space, thoughts arising uh, and known while walking. You know, you do this third foundation, first, second, third, fourth, you know, like we're really open to the insight practice right now. It's like this, these thoughts, these sensations knowing the impermanence, in the movement, in the eating, in the sitting. All right, go for it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.